Well, I cannot help but think of these babies and these kids on a day like today. And I think about what kind of world will they grow up in? What type of world will they grow up in? What challenges will they face? What conflicts will they face? What will they be most passionate about? I want you to think about that for a moment. And then I wonder, how will they view church? As they grow up, as they go through whatever they will go through, how will they look at their church? Will they see it as a place of hope and love and grace and truth? Or will they see it as a place of fear, of hypocrisy, of confusion? How will they look at church as they grow up? Now this morning, we're going to continue our series that we've simply called, Why Church? It's okay to ask. I don't think it's a difficult case to make that we live in a world right now that is full of confusion, that is full of conflict, that is full of some chaos. So where does church sit in the middle of all that we're dealing with? So when we say, why church, our answer this morning is because we need clarity in a time of confusion. We need clarity in a time of confusion. Now, confusion can take a variety of forms. It may hit you at the global level. What do you think about world issues? What do you think about politics? Oh my goodness, there's all kinds of things. I mentioned that word and everybody's blood pressure goes up just a little bit. I could say any number of terms and tensions would rise. Depending upon your political persuasion, certain things may take it up, certain things may take it down. My goal this morning is not to deal with all of those particulars. Can I get an amen? But rather a way to think through the issues. Confusion may hit you at a personal level, at a family level, at a job level. I heard one statistic, uh, just to highlight the disruption of our time, 55% of all workers, according to one survey, are looking for a new job. That's an amazing statistic. There is all types of disruption. So where does church fit in the middle of all this? Now, I want you to consider something for a moment. I want you to take all of your beliefs, all of your convictions, all of your personal preferences, and I want you to turn to a partner and share. That's not my intent this morning. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of all those, and I want you to imagine everything in this circle. Everything in this circle. These are all of your beliefs that are deeply held, 
about God, about the Bible, about any number of social issues, any number of political issues, any number of educational issues that you are confronting right now. And I want you to picture this first as a whole. This is the mess, this is the mass that is coming at each one of us today. Can you picture that today? Can you imagine all those things? I could put any number of issues with inside, uh, inside this circle. So what do we do with this circle? How do we bring some clarity to this mass of chaos? Anybody have Twitter angst? Instagram anger? Just a few. I, I, I bet if I pry a little bit, there'd be some things that would get you going. But I want you to put all that there. And I want you to think of not just the global, not just the national stuff, but what might even be personal, family-related, that causes you angst, causes you confusion. Well, this morning, we're going to try to get some, uh, bring some order to this, bring some clarity to this. Just by my wise thoughts, absolutely not. We're going to start with the Word of God, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and what he has to say to a particular church that was dealing with a lot of confusion. We're going to look at the church in Corinth for just a moment, and we're going to see Paul's model. Then we're going to see a word of encouragement that he gives. And then I want to invite you to take some action steps as we go. So here we go. Why church? Because we need clarity. I want to start with the Apostle Paul, and I want to go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Now, Paul was writing at a time, again, where this church was dealing with all kinds of disorder, all kinds of immorality, everything from incest to getting drunk at the communion table. Big time issues. But this is where Paul begins. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, he says this. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let me give you one more passage early on in Paul's letter. Chapter 2, verse 1, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
Christ crucified. This is where the Apostle Paul will look at all the mess that he's dealing with. Now, don't mishear me on this. Paul was very concrete and very specific on the issues of the day that he addressed. He was not afraid to correct. He was not afraid to preach truth. But where he started in the midst of all this, the fine point is Christ crucified. This is where Paul will start. Paul likes a little hyperbole. He says, I will do nothing except this. Paul has the equivalent of a couple PhDs. He knows a lot of things. But the point, and I would use, even use this word crux, is the cross. I want you to consider this word crux for a moment. If I were to say this is the crux of the issue, this is the crux of the argument, what that word crux, C-R-U-X, actually means in Latin is cross. It is cross. So at the crux is that which is most essential, that which can be most painful, and also that which can bring clarity. So we start at the crux, at the cross. Again, all the things that we could deal with, all the specific issues we could talk about, everything in the pandemic, everything with vaccines, everything with masks, everything with critical race theory. Oh my goodness, we could get, we could get blood pressure boiling. All the things that we could deal with, we start at the cross with Christ crucified. Now, Paul will address all types of issues in the middle of his letter, but towards the end, he will say this in chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, not only is it Jesus Christ crucified, but it is Jesus risen from the dead. This is our point. This is at the absolute center of all of our thinking. Are you with me this morning? Our task, our encouragement is to put things at the center. Paul says this is a matter of first importance. This is a matter of first importance. Let me put it another way. If you took this out, we would have an absolute mess. We would have no starting point. We would have no ending point. We would be in a state of chaos and confusion, but we start at the crux. We start at the core. Now, just to be clear, and I'm going to make this really personal to our kids and our families. I think of these kids as they grow up. 
as they grow up. Had a conversation with uh, one of our teachers at uh, Greenwood Christian Academy. Just excited to see how our partnership is developing. Uh, Matt does a great job of leading worship with these kids. So there's a team that comes together on Thursdays. This, uh, this floor is almost full of high schoolers worshiping. What a great deal. It's good to be together. But I had a conversation with their Bible teacher, and he says, Jason, you know, he's a, he's a younger guy. I'm a little bit older. He says, what's most important to you as these kids leave? I said, well, that's a great question. That's a great question. And I would say this, first of all, that our kids absolutely understand what is essential for salvation. That beyond a shadow of a doubt, they understand what is essential about salvation. So I want to pause here for just a second, and as we think about the crux, as we think about the core, I want to take you to Romans 10, 9 and 10, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith, and are saved. My prayer is that every one of these kids will do that one day. That it will be a real, genuine profession. That's where I would start. That's where I would start in all these other things. What matters most? That our kids would come to faith in Christ. And I would say to you today, if you have not done that, I don't care how long you've been sitting in church. I don't care what you think about church. Have you done that today? If you haven't, you have an opportunity towards the end of the service to to simply do that. Today could be your day to make that simple profession of faith. But as we consider what is at the absolute core, what is at the absolute crux, what does it mean to be saved. That's important. The cross, the resurrection, these are absolutely true and essential and at the core. Now, as we continue to think about this, though, I want to talk about our church for just a minute. I want to give you a little church history. Community Church of Greenwood, it's a wonderful history. I'm not going to show you pictures and all that. I'm going to talk about one part of our heritage that I think is absolutely critical and cool for this particular time that we're in. This sounds like super exciting, but I'm going to actually read from our church bylaws. Anybody excited about that? Wow, I came to church on dedication day and the pastor read from the bylaws. Good night. What is he up to? I want to take you to article one, Section 4 of the Community Church of Greenwood Bylaws. It says this. This statement is to be considered a strong statement of faith. Now, in that statement of faith, if you sign up and take my core beliefs class in a couple weeks, I'll walk you through it all. But at a high level, what do we believe about the Bible? We believe the Bible to be true. We believe that God is Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. We believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that the church is the body of Christ. We believe that we are sinful. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith, through Christ alone. That's the essence. I gave you the super abbreviated version, but we have seven statements that very cogently describe this. What is essential? That we would be closed fist, that we would hang on to. We would say our fellowship, our togetherness is defined by these things. They matter. You believe this? You're welcome. But these are the things that unite us. These are the things that unite us. Now, in the wisdom of those who've gone before us at the church, let me continue this. Allowing for differences with such doctrines as the security of the believer and the fullness of the Spirit. Now, those were issues at the particular time that were a little little hotter than maybe they are now. I'm not going to go into those, but when this was written several years ago, these were some issues that really mattered to people. Persons feeling a strong commitment to doctrinal distinctives would probably not feel comfortable within the church's fellowship. I think that's an absolutely brilliant statement because what it's saying is, this is what unites us. The core of what we believe about Jesus is what unites us. Doctrinal distinctives, the way we do baptism, the way we do communion, which translation of the Bible we use, all those kinds of things are issues that are out here that we ought not divide on that we ought not divide on. I think the wisdom of those who have gone before us set it up for our particular time. Because as I look out at the world, I see lots of pressure from the outside in. The battles sometimes can be out here, but my friends, I want to suggest to us today that true change starts at the cross. And it works outward. So I don't know about you this morning. I don't know what it is in your circle, what it is that is causing you some confusion, what it is that may cause conflict with other people, what it is that may cause you divisiveness within your family, within your friends. But as followers of Jesus... This is at the core. This is at the core. This is at the crux. Now, I want you to come to the cross here. If this is truly at the crux, and again, at the crux, that's that which is most important, it is also painful. It's a place of pain on the cross where Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine. It is also the pain to acknowledge I didn't do anything to earn this. God didn't have to do any less for me than he did for somebody else. There is a humility, there is an opening up at the cross 
that says, I am saved by grace through faith alone. It's not my work. That's the gospel. Had a good friend, I talked to him this week, and he said, you know, when I first came to the church, I thought the gospel simply meant Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, no, no. Yes, these are the gospels. But the gospel is the good news. The good news that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and rescues all who believe in him. That's the core truth. We need to come back to that in this time. That's where we want to hang our hats. But that leads to a posture of humility. Doesn't mean I'm really smart and I just check the right boxes. It means I come to the cross empty in poverty and say, I don't have what it takes. Jesus, save me. Now, Paul didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us just with a picture of this is what's important and this is what's most important. I want to share with you a word of encouragement from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. This is Paul speaking to his protege, Timothy. Paul's getting old. Paul's going to pass things off to Timothy. Paul wants these churches that he started to flourish. And Paul says this, 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Paul says, fan the flame. Now, we're far removed from the importance of a fire. We plug things into an outlet. We get electricity. Occasionally there'll be, a, there'll be a power outage. Some of you may have experienced that this morning. But you are, you are, your power source is gone. But in the ancient world, I want you to you know, imagine the importance of fire, of fanning that flame. That flame would provide energy to cook with. It would provide warmth that community would form around and it would find or it would give you clarity. In fact, the fire of clarity often burns off that which is wasteful. So Paul says, fan the flame. He says, I'm going to, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear. No, no, no. The Spirit gives you three things. Power. Love. Self-control. Self-discipline. That's what the Spirit gives. So that's Paul's word of encouragement to young Timothy and to us as a church. Now, we have this, we have this picture, we have this model of what Paul has given us in the church. And we have this word of encouragement. Now, let me just, uh, let's just have a conversation. Let's break this down for a minute. 
I want to give you some keys for our times. Some keys for how to think clearly in our time of confusion. First of all, and this seems like really basic, take care of your brain. Take care of your brain. This may not be a newsflash for you, but you have a brain that is part of your body. You understand that? I would submit to us this morning that uh, most of us, myself included, might be over-caffeinated, under-hydrated, sleep-deprived. Have I hit anybody yet? And addicted to these little devices that give us a little dopamine hit when we see that somebody liked what we posted or we check something or something diverts our attention. I think it's very difficult to think clearly if we don't take care of our bodies. We don't get enough sleep. We don't get enough exercise. You can say, well, where's the chapter and verse on that? Well, I think one, that's common sense. But what, is, what, is, what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God's given us a body. we got to take care of it. What happens when we don't do these things, when we get under stress and we don't do some of these basic things, what happens to the options that we have? What happens to the way we think? Everything narrows. Everything becomes a binary decision. The options, the complexity, the nuance all can disappear. Are you with me? Have you experienced that? I'm under stress. I remember being under stress as a, as a uh, graduate school do I stay here in Lafayette? Do I move to Indy? Got to go to Indy, break the lease. It doesn't matter. $1,500 later, probably not a wise decision. Take care of your brain. Take care of your brain. The second thing, and I got to develop this a little bit, think inside out, think twice, and think together. First of all, think inside out inside out inside out not outside in when I think inside out I start at the crux I start at the core I start at the cross and the resurrection and I start with Jesus and not just the belief in Jesus but the person of Jesus Christ if God is for me who can be against me? If I have the Spirit, if I'm reminded of who I am in Christ, I can start here, I can be united here, and whatever comes my way, I can deal with, I can think through, because I can actually have the mind of Christ. So this isn't a matter of I can check all the right boxes of all the 35 different things in our culture that are important. But I think from the inside out, not the outside in. 
What if I said this? What about the dinosaurs? Someday one of these kids is going to grow up and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, what about the dinosaurs? Where, where are the dinosaurs in the Bible? You might say what? That's a great question. Let me think about that. Now, are the dinosaurs here? No, the dinosaurs are kind of out here. Exactly how the world was created? My guess is there are thoughtful believers in this world who have a multiple, uh, have different views on that. That's going to sit somewhere out here. Which translation of the Bible? You, you know, all different types of things. But if I start from the inside out, not the outside in, then I can bring some extra clarity to the situation. Now, I can only do that, I can only truly do that if I experience the humility, the attitude of Christ that says, it's by grace that I've been saved. I haven't done anything to earn it. I'm going to have a posture of humility as I move outward. Now, the second part of that, humility says I ought to think twice. I ought to think twice. You may have deep, deep convictions about certain issues. You may have deep convictions that, that lead you to post something, that lead you to go to a school board meeting, that lead you to have a strong voice in something. I'm in no way saying don't do that. All I'm saying is this, think twice. Have the humility to say, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. And rather than simply continue to listen to everybody that agrees with me, humility would say, I'm going to consider another point of view that may be different. And not just somebody on the fringe that I could easily refute their argument, but somebody very thoughtful on the other side of an issue. Now again, my friends, I can really only do this if I'm inside out. If I'm inside out, I've got the Spirit. What's the Spirit give us? Power, love, self-discipline, self-control, a sound mind. So I think inside out, I think twice, and then we think together. We think together. We have other people that we can come together with. We have a few opportunities for that coming up here in a couple Wednesdays. As I've already mentioned, we have a core beliefs class. We also have a class in biblical resolution to conflict. Raise your hand if you think you could use that. Raise your hand if you think of somebody in your life who could use that. Maybe both. But these are ways to apply. These are ways to think inside out. How do I live in my world right now and bring clarity, bring resolution to wherever God has me? So I think inside out. I think twice I think together, and then finally we walk together with Jesus. We walk together with Jesus. So I, I, I got to get my brain right. I got to take care of myself. 
I pay attention to the way I think. Because here's, here's the deal. Being spirit-led does not mean I turn my brain off. Being spirit-led does not mean everything I feel is right. Spirit gives us power. The Spirit gives us love. The Spirit gives us self-control, self-discipline. So then we can walk with others. So we can go from here to our hearts to reaching out in love. So what God has given us here, we can move out and we can share those truths as these families grow up and they interact with others. And families have hard things to deal with in a hurting world. Will you, will your family be somebody that those who are hurting can turn to? Can you say, yes, I don't have all the answers. My church doesn't even have all the answers. But we follow the one who Amen? Now at this time, as we reflect on the cross, reflect on what Jesus instructed us to do, as we reflect on the importance of moving from the inside out, of being united as a church family, we're reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed. He gathered his disciples in the upper room. And as we reflect on that, they had all kinds of issues that they were thinking about. Jesus, what will you do? What will, how, how will you take over the world? Where will I be seated? What will be my job moving forward in this kingdom? They had all kinds of issues, but Jesus brought them to the core, brought them to the center, brought them to the crux, and they had no idea what was actually going to happen. But Jesus said this. He gathered him in the upper room, and he, he took out the bread, and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body, broken for you. As a church family, may we receive the bread in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this cup represents my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. May we receive the cup together. God's word tells us that as often as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. We go right to the center, right to the crux. And we look forward to his return, the resurrection that makes it all
true. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the clarity that you bring to us, a clarity that comes not simply from checking the boxes on any number of issues, but a clarity that begins at the cross, ends at the cross. So we thank you for the bread, we thank you for the cup, we thank you for this opportunity to participate together. And we remember and we say thank you. And now Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Remind us that you do not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of love, of power, and of self-discipline. So Spirit, do the work that only you can. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.